hold a sanctuary in their hearts. But the hearts of men are easily corrupted. You have heart. I was never going to let anyone see that they got to me. Good morning. Good to see you. Good to be back. Uh, Marcus mentioned people in and out on vacation. I'm one of the ones that have done that. Um, we went to Phoenix. Anybody been paying attention to how hot it was in Phoenix? When Phoenix sets an all-time high record, that's saying something. 118 degrees when we were there. Then it went down. It cooled off to 117 uh, the next day. So... We had a great time. I'll talk about that in a minute. I want to welcome all of you here, all of our campuses, all of our friends, all of our visitors. We're so glad that you're here. I hope you're having a great summer. Take advantage today of the uh, Kona uh, shave ice truck, um, but be aware. Let me just say this. Here's how the guy does it. He hands you, he'll, he'll do the shave ice, hands it back to you, and then the kids get to control how much syrup goes on the snow cones. Yes. So, I mean, it's like, it's like the best in the world, but imagine last night I saw a line of kids just putting every flavor on top of the the thing and then going back several times. So you might, might just be aware of that. We did it for fun for you. Uh, it'll be hot and I think you'll enjoy it. Uh, update real quick. Um, before I teach some really cool, uh, neat things going on. And these happened literally the week that I'm preparing to leave. I got them done right before I went on vacation. And then when I'm on vacation, I've had a chance to talk about them. So there's four things that are really sweet that we have, um, we've been working on that we have in preparation for this year. The first one, uh, my job, our job as leaders to always be looking at what you give and not saying, hey, it's not enough. Here's what we say to ourselves when you give. How can we make the most out of what's been given? How can we multiply it most effectively? How can we be more conscientious in everything that we're doing? So one of those things that we looked at is uh, all of our properties. We rent one of our buildings where our office is and where our Highlands Ranch campus is. Are, are you familiar that we have multiple campuses, multiple sites? So our office is held uh, in one building and along with one of our sites, our Highlands Ranch campus. And we rent that building. That building costs us about $25,000 a month to rent that building. I know for some of you like, that's shocking. We actually got a pretty good deal on it. But when we rented it, we put into the lease um, the opportunity to exercise buying that building at our third year into it. Now, little did I know that the marijuana industry would have such a profound effect on what I'm about to tell you. We put it in our contract that we could buy that building for 2.5 million. We could exercise that right. So we took it to our bank, we took all of our properties together, we just said, look, here's what our rate was seven years ago, what is it now, and uh, please would you appraise this building that we're considering buying. Uh, that building came back at $3.9 million. So I'll say it again, we can buy it for 2.5, and it's worth 3.9, it's a million and a half dollars equity. So why? Because the marijuana grow industry, you cannot find warehouse space, and that was originally a warehouse building. And so um, it's, a, it's an unbelievable thing that's happened for us. So um, thank you, marijuana industry, at least for that right there. Um, and, then, and then so, so, so listen, so we, we, um, we bring that to the bank. The bank appraises it. The bank says, of course, we'll help you at that point. Um, we rolled everything into one. It's going to cut our payment $30,000 a month to buy this building. $30,000 a month rolling everything into one. Think, think about that right there. It's $360,000 a year without having to ask for any more money. 
plus we gain a million and a half equity, and we own another property. It sets the church up for a long-term, better situation in the future. I mean, thank God for that. What an awesome thing. So, so wait, wait. So it gets better. So now I, look, things like that, you could say, okay, well, obviously that was God. You know, sometimes good things are not necessarily God things. Have you ever learned that in your life? Good things are not God things. Got to be careful with it. Could be a smart decision, but is it what, what, what God wants us to do? So here's what I just, I just said, Lord, I, I, it's, I'm not fleecing this. I'm not asking you to prove it to me, but here, here's all I'm saying to you. God, if you want us to do this, just, just make it work. God, it would just be stupid not to do it. So at the same time, there's a ministry that we have helped over the years and we've supported and they've been a blessing to us, but we, we literally have, have just helped them in so many, so many ways. Uh, and in the last year or so, I know they began to pray about whether or not they were going to go forward and they decided, hey, they're going to close their door. And if you are a nonprofit, if you close your doors, you can't just uh, take the assets for yourself. You have to actually give them away or sell them and give the assets back to other nonprofits. They owned a house. They came to us and they just simply said this. Uh, you've been such a blessing to us. We want to give something back to you. They gave us that house free and clear. We sold it, $330,000 that was given to JFC right in the middle of doing all of this thing so that everything we needed to make this happen uh, just, I mean, it just fell into place so perfectly. Now, I, I, I can't buy and sell property as, as the pastor. Our church government is, you guys have to decide that. So we called for a meeting, and you're like, when did you call it? Uh, actually, two weeks in a row from the pulpit. Uh, Marcus is not just a talking head. He's actually saying many important things when he's up here. So the membership that showed up to that meeting voted uh, unanimously to both buy that building and to sell that property that was given to us. So what a terrific summer. What do we want to do with that? So I've been talking about the Parker campus for some time now, and my desire has been able to, to plant a new campus, um, and uh, we, we are going to proceed forward on planting the Parker campus this year. That's our, that's our goal and our desire, and um, want to wanna grow again. Uh, I feel like we're just missing so many opportunities in that. And then the fourth thing I'll address is what's going on down in Castle Rock. I've got some great things down there, but that's a little bit out, and I'll talk about those things later. There's a couple things I want to do in that, and I'm going to come back to you in a couple weeks and talk about how you can participate and how you can help us, but I wanted to share that with you. Uh, like I said, it happened literally the day before I left for vacation, and I haven't had a chance to, uh, to talk about it. So really exciting, and uh, boy, just uh, thank the Lord for, for those things. All right, at the transition point in your notes... Our series has been called Summer Blockbuster, uh, and it, I, I guess another word for it would just be at the movies, and I know, you know some people are like, man, movies, why? why? We, we just did it for fun. We did it for summer. We did it to have a good time, just so that you're aware. We didn't sit down and watch a bunch of movies and then try to come up with titles for messages. That's not how we did it. I asked my staff, and we were all committed to doing this. Let's come up with what we want to teach on, and then we'll try to find a movie to see if it'll fit. Some of them have worked really well. Some of them, you might be like, why in the world did they pick that right there? Because it's not always easy to get Hollywood to do what I want. That's the reason why, all right? But in this particular situation, I think I found a pretty cool one. So I'm going to talk about guarding your heart, protecting your heart, uh, making sure that you, that you guard over and that you watch it. Uh, and the reason just simply is this. The Bible says it's the most important. The number one thing you should do is guard your heart. And here's the reason why. The life you live will come from what's going on in your heart. The life you live comes from what's going on in your heart. Now, some people, they'll misunderstand that. And they'll think, so if you guard your heart, you'll automatically be successful. It, 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 it could be that. But it's really, it's not quite that simple. It would be like this. You could be successful, but if your heart's ugly, no one will like you just because you have money. So let me try that over here on this side. So how many of you know you can be rich and no one can like you? Your kids can hate you. 
but you could also be rich and everybody could love you. You could be poor and everybody could love you, but you could be poor and nobody likes you. It's a condition of the heart that determines what your life turns out to be like. So I think sometimes we, we want to put it in formulas like if I just do these things, then everything here. It, it's really the condition of your life the Bible talks about. It's how it'll be, the joy and the life and the peace, and it all comes from your heart. All right, so I wrote my message, and then I picked the movie Iron Man. Let me just set this back up again. If you remember the first one, he's an arms dealer. And in dealing arms, he goes to the Middle East, and while there, his product that he developed is actually shot at a convoy that he's in. A missile blows up, and the shrapnel enters his chest. And it knocks him out, and then when he wakes up again, he's in a cave somewhere in Afghanistan, and some type of a, uh, of a surgeon, a, 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 a brainiac surgeon, has invented a product to keep the shrapnel from getting into his chest. So it's just a small portion, but listen to the words right at the end of it, because it kind of says what I wish uh, you'd be able to do. So watch this real quick. all the shrapnel I could. There's a lot there that is headed into your atrial septum. Here, want to see? Have a souvenir. Take a look. I've seen many wounds like that in my village. We call them the walking dead. It's because it takes about a week for the barbs to reach the vital organs. What is this? That is an electromagnet hooked up to a car battery. And it's keeping the shrapnel from entering your heart. Now, what I like about that and the reason I chose it, we're talking about guarding your heart. And the guy makes a contraption that's going to watch over his heart. It's going to keep the shrapnel from getting in. Here's what I'd love to tell you. I'd love to tell you you can go down today and at Home Depot, Ace Hardware, or your local hospital, you can buy a device and all you need to do is put it over your heart and it will keep the barbs and the shrapnel from the enemy from ever entering into it. Wouldn't that be awesome? The truth of the matter is it doesn't work that way. So there are other guards that the Bible talks about that work the same way that can keep things from getting in our heart. And pay attention to this real quickly. The best time to deal with something is before it's in your heart, not after it's in your heart. Here's what I know about dealing with this issue, that if you can block it before it gets in or deal with it ahead of time, you can go through life without that much really dragging you down. But man, if it gets into your heart, how many of you know people that stuff gets into their heart and it simply changes who they are? 
The problem is when it gets into someone's heart and begins to affect the paradigm of how they live their life, they usually don't know it. They just think that everything is really bad and wrong and they don't know that something has happened to their heart. A person that something wicked and ugly and desperately wrong gets into their heart, man, they begin to live from that paradigm. They're the kind of person you can have a conversation in 2016 and they're talking about the thing that wounded them. You could go away on a long trip and come back in 2026 and guess the first thing they're going to talk to you about. The paradigm that they live in. They're stuck in that thing and they don't realize it. That's why I say guard your heart because the condition of your life comes from it. All right, where do I get that? Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. Check this verse out right here. Guard your heart. Hey, say these three words. Above all else. One more time. Guard your heart above all else. Look at me real quick. If the Bible is telling us to do this above everything else, you should all lean forward right now. You should open your eyes and you should listen very carefully. Think, I'm going to say it one more time. Above everything else that you do. Your number one priority when you wake up in the morning, some of you would go, it's to spend time with God. I would agree because that really is the guard ultimately, but the purpose for doing it is to keep your heart in the right place with God. So above all else, guard your heart. Why? Because it determines the course or the outcome of your life. Here's another way to say it. Maybe this isn't quite as pleasant. The life that we're living right now comes from the condition of our heart. Good and bad. That doesn't have to be negative. That can be very positive. The life we're living right now in certain areas comes from whether or not we've guarded our heart, the condition of our heart. The most vulnerable part of you is your heart. Pay attention to me. The most vulnerable part of you is your heart. It is not your body. It's not your marriage. It's not your children. It's not your finances. It's not what other people can eat. It's not your job. It's not your future. The most vulnerable part of you is your heart. That's the area that affects all of the things that I just mentioned. When I read Proverbs 4, 23, above all else, guard your heart because it determines the course of your life. There are two things I see that just jump out at me that I would say to you. First and foremost, the Bible ranks it as this is preeminent. This is number one. Above everything else in life, above how you invest above how much you pray, above everything else that you're doing that we put in priorities, above your marriage, guard your heart. Pastor, how can you say that? Doesn't that area of our life come in one or two? If you don't have a good heart, you'll have a bad marriage. Thank you, one person who got that. Some are like, yeah, I get that, but I can't say amen because he's sitting right. Okay, all right. Above all else in life, the preeminent issue, guard your heart. Here's the most important thing, though. Listen to this. You're the guard of your heart. Above all else, you guard your heart, the Bible says. And here's what most believers do. We pray this prayer. God, would you guard my heart? Here's God talking through the Bible to you. Guard your heart. Pay attention right now because most of us don't ever think about this issue. We go through life and stuff happens to us. Jesus said it's not what goes into you that defiles you. It's how it comes back out of you that messes you up. Meaning this, everything, everybody experiences ups and downs and goods and bads and people that do things to us and situations that were betrayed and situations that were blessed. And it all goes in. What happens in the heart then determines what comes out of you and how you respond to it and how you see life and how you go through life. Yes or no? It happens to all of us, and you've got to guard your heart because from it comes 
your life story. So let me talk quickly about the problem of heart decay. The problem of heart decay. And I'm going to use an example uh, from my vacation. When You know, when you're a pastor, everything you do is a waiting illustration, to be quite honest with you. Your marriage, your children, lines at Starbucks, conversations I have with myself in the car. Everything becomes an illustration. All right, so one of the things we did on vacation, we picked a house that we rented. We bring all of our family together. There's 17 of us. Man, we have a great time. Uh, we, we, we pick a house that has a big pool in the backyard, a place where we can hang out outside because it's 118 degrees. <laughs> and there was a great big table outside that we could all eat at. And um, so, so one night we make hamburgers, we make hot dogs, and we cook steaks. And um, man, we put this feast together, and it's really hot. Now, just, just real quickly, 17 people, and, and, and seven of them were kids. Can you imagine how much food is on the ground and on the table? And just, you know what I'm saying? Here's what made this great. You could just take a hose and just squirt the whole thing down, and it's clean. But it was late, we were tired, and it was hot. We just kind of all got up from the table, and we thought, hey, we'll do it in the morning. And I get up early, about 5 or 5.30 every morning. It's my time to just go hang out with God and the house is quiet and no one's asking me for anything. So I get up and I thought, you know, I'll squirt this thing off. So I go outside and I see this black mass kind of moving. I think it's a great big bug or something. And so I get close to it and here's what it is. One of the kids had left a hamburger, half a hamburger on a plate on the table. And I'm not kidding you, maybe 500 flies had gathered on top, and it was moved, like, you know, kind of moving and wiggling around. And so from a distance, I'm like, what is this strange sight? And as I got up close, I'm like, oh, that's disgusting. It's just disgusting. Look, sometimes the Lord speaks to me in the most regular of activities in life. And while I'm sitting there looking at this and hosing it down, the Lord reminds me that one of the names of the enemy of our soul is Beelzebub. Have you ever heard that name before? It's exact, I don't know who just said it. It's exactly right. Beelzebub is a name for the devil and the meaning, it's a sentence. It means Lord of the flies. Lord of the flies. I've read that before, but I never connected the idea of the thought behind it, and this is what the meaning is. The enemy of your soul is attracted to the decay in your life. He is attracted to the places that are left out, that are unguarded, that are spoiled, that are dying, that are rotten. He's the Lord of flies, and he looks for opportunities to bring decay to this world, yes or no? And that's why the Bible tells us you don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but you wrestle against spirits and principalities. And what we, when we fight people, the devil stands to the side and realizes he got in there, brought decay, and we're fighting the wrong thing. Our direction and our attention should always be turned to the thing that's going on underneath, not the thing that's just easily seen on the surface. He's the Lord of the flies. The problem with decay is that when you define decay in your heart, I can promise you it's an inroad that the enemy has found to come. And con Here's another name for it. I would call him the father of maggots. Because where you find one, you find hundreds, don't you? So let me give you four areas that I believe lead to decay in your heart. Four areas to guard against, four areas to be aware of. Don't just let these things happen to you. Don't just live your life in the world like, hey, what, I, I can't control it or I don't have time to think. Don't, above everything else, guard yourself. Guard your heart. So let me just give you four areas that lead to decay. One, anger. 
Now, now look at me real quick so you understand. It's not a sin to be angry. The Bible says you can be angry and just don't sin when you are. Jesus was angry when he went into the temple and he saw what they were doing to his church. The money changers had taken over. They were buying and selling and they had perverted the cause of God and Jesus got righteously indignant towards what they were doing, flips over the table, takes a whip, drives them out of his church. Get out of here. Didn't sin, but he was righteously anger. Anger can be used to right a wrong. Anger can be used to change a situation that's unfair. Anger can be used to stand up for injustice. Anger can be used in a way to accomplish the things of God. Yes or no? But you can go further than that and let it turn into something that becomes decay in your heart. When anger becomes rage, have you ever raged? The people last night raged. Only one of us in this room is raged. That's amazing to me. You never raged. Okay, I've raged. I have let anger go from simple anger and something that was justifiably upset to a point in my life where I step. Hear about it. I have said worthless things to priceless people in a moment of rage. And then here's what I say to myself after How could you? Oh, you might have raged then. Maybe you did. How could you do that? What was that? It's not what goes in or what happens that defiles you. It's what happens once it gets in your heart and it comes back out that defiles you. How could I do that? It went wrong in your heart. Anger. Rage. Unchecked. Unguarded. Left to run its course can turn into hate. Let me talk to you about hate for just a second. Here's what I know. The best time to deal with stuff is before it gets in your heart. That's why the Bible says to guard your heart. The Bible does not ever present itself as a force field that keeps bad stuff from happening to people who love God. And believers today feel like if I say my prayers and I give my money and I go to church, it's sort of like this force field around me, right? And and nothing bad will happen to me. And that Jesus said in this world, you will have trouble. But fear not, I've overcome the world. So the promise of the gospel is not some force field. The promise of the gospel is regardless of what happened, Jesus will never leave you. And in the bottom, we win. When it's all said and done, we win. But rage left unguarded turns into hate. And here's what I have learned through the years in my own life. Hate is better dealt with before it turns into hate. Because once it's in there, it's like a root And here's the thing about it, man. Trying to get it out of your heart once it's in there is not quite as easy as you think. And it can come back at the most inopportune times. And it causes decay. And if it gets it, here's what I know. People that get their hearts filled with hate, it's like the devil concentrates his efforts to reinforce that thing in their life constantly. Do you agree with that? It's a weird thing. Four areas that lead to decay, anger. How about this one? Unforgiveness. So you might go, well, isn't like hate and unforgiveness the same thing? No. Unforgiveness can come from hurt, injustices, wrongs, sometimes perceived wrongs, sometimes just it comes from our own pride where we feel like somebody shouldn't have treated me that, whatever. But unforgiveness probably could be described hurt that turns into bitterness, bitterness that turns into judgment, and ultimately inside of you, what you do is you give away free rent. You're giving away the better part of your heart and you're carrying around things that are so heavy, so ugly, and you're waiting. This person needs to make it right. You know the Bible? That's why the Bible teaches us you can forgive before somebody asks for forgiveness. The demonstration of that 
is our Father with his Son. He sends Jesus. We didn't love him first. He loved us. He forgave us before we ever asked him to forgive us. When a person says, I can't forgive, then they don't get God's love. Now, you would point back at me and say, Pastor, if you went, what, went through what I went through, you couldn't say something like, here's what I've learned in life. Everybody goes through something. So maybe your story is more difficult than my story. That's why this would become more important to you, so that you can live now. Live. Man, the promise of God is to live, not die. The, the gospel doesn't change your past. It changes your future. I can't take a pencil and erase what happens to you, but I can redirect it so that the Lord wins and the devil loses. You can live. You can prosper. Let me give you the third thing that I think is an area of decay that the enemy just concentrates on, fear and shame in a heart. Tell me fear is not a killer in a heart. Shame. Again, it's usually the result of agreement with the enemy in some area in your life. When shame gets in there, here, stuff happens to you, it comes your way, and once it gets into your heart, of course, the enemy is right, I mean, he's right behind throwing the ball at you to hit you, and as soon as it hits you, he condemns you for being hit. He's good at it. When we listen to him and agree, you're right, I should have never done that. I can't believe I'm that kind of a person. Uh, who would do something like that? Look at this scripture real quick. So this is from Genesis. This is the first lie that was ever told. It's the original sin. It's how the enemy works. He, he's not, he doesn't come up with new things. He just does the same thing in a different way. Tells lies. So what he's, he's a good liar. Here's the thought about it. The enemy has no power in your life unless you say let, yes to the lie. He can't come in and move your mouth like a puppet. He can't come in and make you curse, steal, drink. Can't make you kill, rob, steal. Can't, he, he can't make you do anything. But he can lie to you. And if you agree with him, you empower him in your life. It's not what goes in. It's what happens once it's in. And it comes out. So think about this. The original lie... The devil comes to the man and the woman, lies to them. God's lied to you. That's not really the truth. And if you do this, you can be like God. They listen. They both eat. Now, up until this point, their relationship with God was really cool. God would come every day and hang out with the man and the woman. He created them just so that he could hang out with them. He could love them and they could love him. And every day... He would come in the cool of the day, the Bible says, and the man and the woman would run out to talk to God. And then once they believed the lie and they empowered the liar, I want you to notice the difference in the relationship. God comes in the cool of the day and he calls, Adam, where are you? He's never had to say that before. Every time Adam would come to God, this time God shows up and he has to cry out, Adam, where are you? And here's Adam's answer. I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, I was shamed, so I hid. Look at me. It's still the original lie with the original result that when you listen to the enemy, it will do two things. It will produce fear in your heart and shame ultimately. And you will run from God, you will hide from God, and you can cut. church can be used as a cloak to actually keep us from the presence of God. We're around God, but we don't get intimate with God. Believer, listen to me on this for a second. 
people are afraid he'll reject me or I've got all this stuff in my life. Here's what God wants to do. Here's the promise of God and here's why this church is here. We want to help you recover what the devil's stolen and discover what you don't know about the Father. God wants to give you back, man, what's been taken from you. How about this last one? Four areas that lead to decay. I just called it vain imaginations. Anybody in this room, you ever, you ever realized uh, you're having a conversation with yourself and it's going in a really negative direction? All of a sudden you realize, what in the world am I? Th-? You ever had one of those? So here, how much time do I have? Two minutes and 22 seconds. Um, I want to give you time for snow cones and summer and the whole, but I've been on gone and I want to preach now and I'm like, I've noticed when I'm brushing my teeth, is when my brain can just start thinking about, and it's usually, here's what I've learned, I think about the same negative thing that happened to me, and I must have thought about it the first time while I was brushing my teeth, because every time I go to brush my teeth, I have the same conversation in my head, and it's a negative conversation. And it's not until just the last couple years that I have to stop myself and think, that's not true, say it a different way, quit thinking that way, quit quit having this conversation about this person, and it must have been the first time I let it go was while I was brushing my teeth, and I'm doing something so that I'm actually doing two things. I'm physically involved, but my mind's having a conversation I'm unaware of. You ever? That's a vain imagination. Listen to this. Any imagination that's not captured like that can take root in your head and begin to guide your life. You will be shocked at what you think and how it makes you feel. How it makes you feel. So I call it a vain imagination where do I get that from? Look at Romans 121 real quick. It's an interesting scripture. Because they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful to God. And look what happened to them when they reject God. They become futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were what? They become darkened. A person's heart can become darkened when you reject God from the equation, when you look around at the world, you think to yourself, how can this world go? How can this stuff happen in this world that happens? Can I give you an equation? Reject God from it and think about what the devil can do. Light and darkness don't have a battle. Think about this for a moment. Go in your bathroom, turn the light on. Does it take like 15 minutes for the light to finally spread out and kill the darkness? Does, does it go back and forth? Dark light, dark light, dark. If it does, let me come to your house. I'd love to see that. You've, you've set a new precedent in the world that I would love to see. So here's what happens. You turn on the light and darkness is gone. So darkness actually only exists in the vacuum of the absence of light in this world. Without light, there's darkness. Let me just ask you about your prayers real quickly. Are your prayers right now in our country and in this world, are they full of faith or are they prayers from fear? Man, the church is called a light in this world, a city on a hill. It cannot be hidden. Wouldn't it be a great time for the church to rise up with light to push back darkness right now rather than to respond like we're being overwhelmed by darkness? I don't know if you hear what I'm saying right now. So how do we do that as a church? Do it as a believer and you'll do it as a church. Rise up, man. Not rise up like I'm going to get it. I'll I'll show you in a second. Let let me just make mention of this. Uh, When I teach this, here's what I've learned. 
This is not a problem to be solved in a message a day or a year. It's a tension you'll have to manage for the rest of your life. The moment you quit paying attention to what's going on in your heart, the devil will find a way to come back and bring something in it. You will manage this. You hear what I'm saying? Not a problem to solve. Attention to be managed. You have to pay attention to this. All right, big deal. Point out the negative. Let, let me, here, here's the best part of the message. Let me talk about the promise of God. The promise of God simply is recovery and discovery. This is what God has for your life. This church exists to help people recover what the enemy has taken away and discover the things in God they don't know exist. Ezekiel 36, 26. Look at this sweet scripture right here. I love this. This is God speaking first person. I will give you a what? A new heart. And I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender and responsive heart. Some people read this like, I think that refers to like when a person gets born again and God puts a new heart in them. It could represent that. But how about this? It could represent that every time we turn to God from a difficult place in our heart, God is always willing to give us a new heart to restore us and to, to give back to us what's been eaten, what's become decayed and what's death and what's, what's old. I love that scripture right there. So, so I'll, I'll just do it this way. Let, let me give you three conditions of a renewed heart. This is what God wants to do in your heart today. Not next year. Not after you deal with all of your stuff. Today God wants to do this for you. One, a condition of a renewed heart is that it's just simply tenderhearted. Ephesians 4.32 Paul writes these words to a church, just like this church, to a bunch of believers who are dealing with stuff going on in their lives, going on in their businesses, going on in their country. Uh, people are being killed. People are being persecuted. People are being... Look, nothing changes. We think we're more sophisticated. But stuff is stuff. For all eternity that the world has existed in for the length the bumper sticker is stuff happens. Stuff happens to people. Paul writes this, instead of letting the stuff control you, be kind to each other. Look at the word, tender-hearted. When you're tender-hearted, then you can forgive one another just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. A condition of a heart that is full of what God is doing, that is just restored and renewed, how many of you know the difference between being tender-hearted and hard? Here's what I, I know that I know that I know. The number one thing that I do all day long is try to keep my heart tender. Amen. That's the, I, and that is, it is not a problem to solve. It's a tension to be managed. How important is it to be tender-hearted in a marriage? How important is it to be tender-hearted with a kid? How important is it to be tender-hearted with just the world at, so that you can be a light? Amen. Some are like, you can't be that way, idiot. Doesn't have, it's not how it works. You and your ivory tower, pastor, you don't get it. I do get it. I think for a moment, I sit in my office 24-7. I hang out with my neighbors. I listen to those conversations. I intentionally place myself in places where it's dark sometime. There's a bookstore in Denver that sells occultic cruddy books. I was passing by it one day. Here, here's my, I usually walk by and here's my prayer. God changed their heart and shut this thing down. Starve them economically. Righteous. And then I felt the Lord challenge me one day to go in that store and talk to the people. No. I'm the light. That's dark. 
can't get the light dirty. <laughs> I just thought of that on the spot. That's exact, I think that's exactly, I can't get the light dirty. The Lord says, go in that bookstore and pray. So I walk through that bookstore. I'm not reading the books. I'm not like, let me learn. I'm just walking up and down the aisles and I'm just praying, Holy Spirit, these people are searching for something in this life. And they're being deceived by the enemy. God, fill this place with light. Fill this place with light. Talked to the owner. Just talked. Didn't say, hey man, I'm a believer. I'm in here praying against all the spirits that you're bringing into our city. (laughs) I'm just praying and I'm just talking and I'm just trying to intentionally let the light shine in darkness. I think somewhere in our Christianity today, we're afraid to get the light dirty. And if there was ever a time for the light to shine, if there was ever a time for the light to shine, how about full of faith? Man, a heart that's renewed is just full of faith. The prayers are full of faith. Its outlook is full of faith. Its opinion is full of faith. Hebrews 10, 22. Let us draw near with sincere hearts in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our body washed with pure water. Man, a renewed heart is just simply, it's full of faith and it prays prayers that are full of faith. Not like, oh God, come back and kill everybody. God, what is your plan during this time? God, what can we do right now? How do we act? How do we step in? How, how, God? The last one, maybe the one that I just love, a, a, a condition of a renewed heart is just simply, it's overflowing with life. Psalm 65, 9, I read this on my vacation. Uh, I've read Psalm 65, I don't know how many times, but it's the first time I really, this just, so it's, it's talking about the Lord. God visits the earth and he waters it. He greatly enriches it. And then it says this, the river of God is full of water. Psalms 46 says, there is a river whose streams make glad the city or the people of God. Ezekiel writes this really sweet scripture Speaking of the river of God, the Holy Spirit, God's, here's God's activity in your life and in this world. Wherever his river goes, every living creature that swarms will live. There will be very many fish for this water goes there that the waters of the sea may become fresh. And then this last little part, right after that semicolon, so everything will live where the river goes. Here's God's promise to you. Wherever his river goes in your life, what was dead can come alive. Here's how Jesus said it. If you drink of the waters I will give you, from inside of your soul will come rivers of living water. Living water. His spirit is that water that brings back to life what is dead. And here's, I'm just going to tell you this, and I'm done. No one in this room can change their heart today. Maybe I can expose decay. Maybe I can give you a comparison to what God wants and what it's like when it's like, but here's the problem. Not one person in this room can change their heart. But here's what you can do. You can say, God, will you change my heart? God, I give you my heart. And God, will you fill me with your life? Because the Bible promises that wherever the river flows, everything lives. So my question to you, would you like that to happen for you? Do you have areas in your life where you need God's spirit to come and cause it to live again? 
You have areas of decay and areas of death and areas where you just simply, man, you have lost your faith. You have lost your way. You have lost your hope. Where it is dying and not living. And I'm not talking heaven and hell. Your job is not to get yourself to heaven. That's Jesus' job. But your job is to bring heaven to earth and that's the life of God that should be inside of you. How's that going? What's happening right now? The opportunity is today the Holy Spirit can fill and impact our lives. Right now. Right now. So Lord, we love you. And Father, we submit ourselves right now to the activity of the Holy Spirit. Perhaps you're here today and you're not a believer, but somehow the message touches you and you say, Pastor, I sure would like God to do that for me. Do you know that if you ask God right now to help you, he will help you? Do you know there's not a requirement for you to join a church, get religion, clean yourself up in order to get God's attention? Do you know that God loves you so much that you could walk in this room today never having thought about him for more than two seconds, but if you say to him today, God, help me, be merciful to me, God, I need you, God will instantly, instantly rescue you. He will instantly put his hand out to you. He will instantly say yes to your prayer. Perhaps you've already said that many years ago. You lived your life for God and you love him and you've committed yourself to him, but yet the enemy, somehow, some way, we've come into agreement with lies. Maybe circumstances, situations, things, stuff has gotten into our heart and instead of guarding it, it got in there and it changed the paradigm of what we think and what we see, what we believe. Fear's gotten in there, shame's gotten in there, anger's gotten in there. Driving over here this morning, I didn't write it in my notes. I thought maybe it was for another message, but I'll just say this. I didn't mention lust, but lust is decay. Sir, I'm going to say sir, it could be lady, but sir, lust is that thing that once it enters into the heart, it hardens a heart. It'll harden your heart against people. If you're married against your spouse, it takes over. It seems so good at one point, and the outcome is so bad. God's promise this morning is that if you let the Holy Spirit have that area of your life, the river of God can flow there, wash it clean, and restore what the devil's taken from you. God, as difficult as that seems, God's power is greater than that issue. What would you want to do with it today? Father, I ask that for every person this morning needing the river of God to flow in their life, needing the Holy Spirit to invade God, we just open our hearts to you. Change our hearts. Direct our hearts. Father, forgive us for not guarding our hearts, not even recognizing. But Lord, help us right now. Give us a new heart. Give us a second chance for the thousandth time. Be merciful to us today. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.